Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What Steve Cohen wants to create is the East Coast Dodgers. There already is an East Coast Dodgers. They're called the New York Yankees. So it'll be awfully interesting to follow baseball in this town when you have that level of ambition uh, coming from the Bronx and Queens uh, going forward. And look, it's again, you mentioned the Dodgers. It's about targeted spending. Back to the point that everyone, Steve and Jim, have both made on this broadcast. The Dodgers, it took them years to finally find their Mookie Betts and give him that huge contract. That's, so that's not to expect that Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson are going to necessarily go out and do something like that next week. But it means that they're going to strike when they want to. And in the meantime, they're going to build up this whole infrastructure of an organization that mirrors those other teams like the Dodgers that you mentioned. 3-2. High drive down the line towards the On a 2-1. Bellinger pulls it down the line of third ball, but ricochets in front of Conforto. Seager in the score easily. Conforto overruns the ball. Bellinger's into second with a go-ahead double. Swing and a miss. Strike three. McNeil is out. Ball game over. And the Dodgers sweep the Mets in New York. No, I'm not concerned. It, it, it's... You guys seen the guys' attitude and how neutral they stay. Uh, they, are they going to say that they weren't good tonight? Yes, they're going to say that. Uh, runners in scoring position, we weren't good. And they, they're, they're going to say that all the time. Uh, we need to be better in those situations. We need to finish what we start. Uh, and uh, that's what we got to do. So, but there's no concern as far as like the energy level. I know they're going to show up every day with a high energy to face any team that stands in the way. So um, what we need to do is to keep working hard, you know, in the areas that we need to get, be better at. And uh, that's where uh, our focus should be, not, not, a, not a concern. It's just our focus and our trust 
uh, we got to exhaust it in that area. And I think right now, still, it's the hitting. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, August the 16th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Well, uh, welcome to another edition of the show, and similar to last week, you could not have had two Sundays where this show falls on, maybe the two worst days of the year, and I'm going to do a similar type of, you know, really State of the Union type of show, because as I was seeing the game and and the time change and and all that stuff, I was like, to get on a guest before the show, then do a little post-show intro get in a little bit of that flow where you, maybe you do a feature or something. I, I know that for the majority of the listeners, they're not going to be into it. You know, you're you're into what's going on right in front of you and this team and, and this bad stretch, which is now going on more than two weeks. And I'll tell you what, there are times in a baseball season where you start to let go. You realize that the aspirations and all the thoughts of competing and winning on a higher level, uh, are just something that's not going to happen. And although I'm not ready to do that because I certainly don't think that this division and the teams that they're competing with uh, are good enough, even though they've made improvements since July 31st, to really, even with a really bad stretch of Mets baseball, run away and hide or put the Mets in a position where they can't, with a good month of baseball in September, uh, get back into this and win it, there are, as we've talked about, plenty of signs that this quite simply is not going to happen. But one of those signs was actually not this weekend against the Dodgers, where outside of yesterday, I thought the Mets played as competitive and crisp baseball as you could on Friday and Saturday night. Really two tough losses, two of the tougher losses, the kind of losses that you know, obviously could put you into a, a, a tailspin, and you you know, hopefully that's not the case after you saw the blowout on Sunday, but the kind of games that you have to f- find a way to win as you play good teams and championship teams, which the Dodgers are. But on Thursday, the second game of the doubleheader when, and that's really where this weekend went bad was that doubleheader, and I'll explain why. On Thursday, when that ground ball squirted under McNeil's glove and the game was tied and looked like the Mets were going to have an awful loss to a team, and I'll stand by this, the the division is going to be won or lost by one of these three teams, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, by how they play against the Nats, how they play against the Marlins. That's how this division is going to be won or lost, because I think when it's all said and done, they're Dodger games, they're Giants games, they're games when they play, you know, the Braves go to Colorado, you know, and all this other stuff, Arizona, it's all going to be decided by these teams in their division because those teams, actually the Marlins are better than the Nats. The Nats are pretty bad. Even though they're pesky at times, they're pretty bad. But 
I said, this this might be the sign that this isn't happening. And then Alonzo goes out, hits the game winner, and, and then you go out there on Friday and Saturday and really, uh, because you had to use a lot of your A relievers in that doubleheader, a doubleheader where if you had one big inning, and it's really the story, and the story of the entire season, the last three or four days, one crooked number inning to go from 3 nothing, 4 nothing to 6 7 8 nothing, which they have not been able to do all year. It's really a team that once you hit your four runs, the ceiling, it's like a, it's like a ceiling. They can't get forward. You had to burn relievers that maybe, instead of going with Familia and Yancy Diaz, who are not terrible relievers, but relievers that when you're facing a championship team and extra innings with a runner on second and nobody out, the ghost runner, those are not the first guys you want to go to. But they had to go to them because they burnt their bullpen on games they had to win prior. And, and that's how, you know, seasons are lost. And that's been the frustrating thing that all season, and you heard it in Rojas in the postgame, the offense, you know, you're going to see a team on the West Coast that their offense, their guys like Buster Posey and Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford and Evan Longoria, guys that are veterans that, quite honestly, some of them haven't had good years in five years. And some are having career years. I mean, Buster Posey's having a year that he hasn't had since 2012 when he was a young catcher. They're the exact antithesis, the exact opposite. Which is sometimes you just can't figure this out. If you had told me back in December, well, the team that plays on August 16th, the Giants and the Mets, one is having players with career years and the other team is not, it would not have been the Giants. There's no scenario. I don't think any expert would have picked that. But I think more importantly, because this was the perfect synopsis where, and you heard Andy Martino, a clip from earlier in the offseason, right when Steve Cohen took over. The Dodgers have all, you know, they've become the gold standard. It's funny, they talk about the Yankees in this town. The Yankees are not the gold standard. The Dodgers are the gold standard of where you'd like to be. And in some ways, um, you know, they don't have the championships that the Yankees had in the in the late 90s. Uh, but in a lot of ways, they, they may have become more sustainable because they've really put together a, a system of, of young players and what have you and interchange some of these young players with veterans and whatnot. But I'll go there in a little bit. There was so many good vibes around this team, even after the Jared Porter situation, which was the first dent there in the Steve Cohen armor when he came in and took over the team, that you knew it wouldn't last. And I think that it created, even though it created a really necessary good vibe around the organization, it also created, I think, unrealistic expectations and I think it clouded, as I've said many times, and this is not a second guess or a third guess. You go back and you listen to this show all the way back to the early days of the off season. that the difficulty of what the Mets have tried to put together this year, and the importance of winning has always been there, but the difficulty of putting something together where they can win and compete, uh, those have never really been aligned. All logic stated this was not going to be a good year, even with the players in place, because you're building a team in the offseason while you're building a front office, while you're building a farm system, while you're building an analytics department. And, oh, by the way, you're doing it on the fly where other teams have already done their planning, and you had to blow it up because your key hire did something really stupid and dumb. So you went into this season, and then, Yes, there's no doubt the division and how the Braves and the Phillies, and I don't think the Phillies are all that great. Uh, I think the Braves played down early in the year. I think that's the team, really. I think the Phillies are, are what they always would have been. Uh, 
clouded the fact for 90 days that you had the replacements, you had underperformance on the on the offense, you had these DeGrom shutdowns, which were warning signs, so on and so forth. So you, you were in first place, and I think everybody said, okay, just like I did, here we are, all-star break, team's going to start to get healthy, DeGrom should be back, you have uh, you know all the offensive pieces in place, you make a nice deal with the deadline, you're six, seven games over, you'll be 15 over by September, and away you go. Maybe you win this division by five, six games, maybe the Maybe the Braves, you know, punt. None of that happened. And the Mets got pulled back into the muck, and now they're in a big muck, and they're behind in the muck, and and the world's about to come to the end. You know, you have the New York Post. You have all these different publications. Mets are going to go 0-7 on the, on the West Coast trip. Everything needs to be blown up. Rojas needs to go. The GM needs to go. Alderson needs to go. You know, this core is never going to get anything done. So you go from one extreme to the other. It's exhausting. Makes for great radio. Makes for great shows. It's exhausting. It clouded all of this because everybody thought when this owner came in that everything was just going to be touched and turned to gold. And they kept using the Dodgers. And even he himself said, look, I'd like to win a title in three to five years because he knows how hard this thing is. And even and, and i got to tell you, he may regret even saying that because, and I'll get to the Dodgers in a minute, it's not that easy. And a lot of that has been uh, looked over, especially in this town, especially a generation of writers in this town, a generation of fans, because of what happened in the late 90s with four and five years with the Yankees, which was an extremely fortunate run. I mean, they earned it, they won, but a lot of good happened in that run, and it's not that easy to do in any sport. Unless you have a generational, unless you get a lot of luck, or you have some generational talents. The Yankees, I think, had more luck than generational talents, that they had the right players at the right time. In other sports, teams like the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Bulls, the Lakers, whatever, you know, sometimes they have the best player in, in not only in a generation, but maybe all time. But to win is difficult. And nothing that's going on is acceptable. And nobody's happy about it. Just because Rojas continues to take the day in and day out mantra, which is what he should do as a good manager. You know, you guys want you know, you guys don't like you guys want to be lied to. You want fake, tough guy, fake sometimes. This is a segment, very toxic segment of the fan base. Everybody needs to go. Everybody needs to be fired. They always want to be miserable. I don't know why they watch the team if they want to be miserable. It's Go on Twitter. It's the most toxic environment you ever see. Talk radio. It's, it's WFAN now. It's, it's transitioning into that. I think the smart fans are moving away from it. They used to be on it, and they left them on the fan. Now the fan, fan the WFAM people moving to Twitter, and, and maybe it's time for, which I think the majority of the fan base is a little smarter than Twitter, but be that as it may. You know, so it's a lot of this is being overshadowed by the fact that this is a team that has, you know, been clunky all year in terms of, of roster construction because of injuries. Uh, despite the fact that they've had, uh, you know, Lindor out a third of the, you know, is going to be bad for that transition, which you expected for about 30 games. He's going to miss 30 plus games. Lindor for, you know, almost 40% of the season is going to be incomplete, either not there or in transition. You're missing your ace. You may not get another pitch from your ace the entire second half. And not just your ace, a guy that was having an all-time season, a guy that every five days would have stamped out any kind of nonsense, any kind of losing streak probably and and you lost that uh be that as it may i'll continue to say this take even with the the sunday blowout a rare blowout they don't get blown out a lot they're in most every game 
And a lot of the times it comes down to offensive execution is why they lose. I still think they're a tournament team. If they can somehow get into this thing and they get DeGrom back. That's the key, getting DeGrom back. You're not going to tell me. And you just saw three games against the Dodgers, two of which could have went down to, you know, the bounce of the ball, basically. You're going to tell me they can't win around with DeGrom? I mean, it's not going to be easy, but you never know. This is a team that certainly, and I've said that from the start, uh, you know, it's funny. They figured out how to play defense here, whether it be analytics or the type of players they brought in. I think their they're starting rotation and their relief pitching has been pretty good all year. I mean, they're a team that's won basically 4-3, 3-2, 4-2 all year. That's the formula. Get off, score two, three runs, have a good pitch, well-pitched game, bring in the bullpen, close it out. Tight to the vest every game. Very exhausting, very burnout. They failed miserably on offense. They failed miserably on offense. So all things considered, they have gone – here's the key – with Jake Reed coming in, and even A-Rod brought it up on the on the broadcast last night. And it's funny. Everybody hated A-Rod on the broadcast. I actually didn't. I thought he was he was fine. I didn't have any problems with the ESPN broadcast. They, with Jake Reed coming in, they have now gone 60 deep in roster. What team in this game goes 60 deep on roster and is actually talking about, even if, even if you want to believe it's just mathematically, if you don't believe that they should even be talking about winning a division. Winning a division on August 16th. 60 deep. There is not a world where you could plan for 60 deep. Even with a, deep, even with a good farm system, you don't have you don't have two plus rosters worth of players available to you, even in the best farm systems, because guys aren't ready. Nor do you want to put them on the 40-man and bring them up and get arbitration clocks ticking and all the other things that go with that. So when you put all that together, the fact that they are where they are, which is still not where you want to be. It's it's pretty incredible. You have to reframe this and look at this big picture. I'm sorry. This is not rationalization. This is not being overly optimistic. This is reality. You have to understand how I believe the organization has to look at this. Are they going to lie to themselves when the season is over? No, I don't think so. I mean, you're already hearing this week, Cohen's going to go after a big-name president of baseball operations, which was the plan all the time. If I told you from the start, Sandy Olison wasn't the right guy for the baseball side. If you want to get a guy in that could help organize and calm the storms and, and work on this transition, he's the guy. He was never. You guys all loved him. I was criticized for, for a variety of reasons for not liking the hire. I understand why Cohen went with him. He needed to get approved, and he needed an adult in the room that could navigate a time when he's an, I don't care how rich you are, how successful you are in business, he didn't know how to navigate the baseball world. So all, so basically now, the vibes that were built back on November 1st are essentially gone. The easy pass mindset that everybody had. up, oh, everything's going to be perfect. It's a yellow brick road to a championship. I think also the Yankee struggles earlier in the season are part of it because I think they've got the Mets fans excited that this could be their town and they got to like put those Yankee struggles aside. The the media gaslighting doesn't help. It's always going to be there. Fire Rojas, the deadline. The deadline thing is the most funny. Well, the Mets didn't do anything at the deadline. Oh, but they gave up a top prospect for Baez. But if they didn't trade for Baez, oh, the Mets did nothing at the deadline. Or if they went out and gave up an A prospect like Alvarez, who's hitting home run after home run after home run in Brooklyn and got Kenta Maeda or Jose Barrios and they didn't make the playoffs, then they'd be criticized for that. So if that's how you're going to cover this team, you're always going to be right. 
It's easy. It's hard to do what I'm doing now, which is put out there a very balanced, a very uh, top line, a very thorough view of the team, and admit there are things that I thought this team was built on offense and starting pitching, and the bullpen was what I was concerned about. That has not been the case. And 90 days in first place proved that. That's also kind of where I think all the good vibe went. Now the, the expectations change. And, and let's and let's face it, there's the Red Sox syndrome, which I've talked about from the start. This is a fan base that is starving to to get out of that negative tunnel, which they themselves perpetuate because they get gaslit and easily baited, and they like feeling sorry for themselves. And this is no different than when I keep telling you I went to a nice tour of Fenway Park in Boston in 2000, four years before the curse was broken, and that whole town when it came to baseball was sitting and dwelling on 86. Ironic, right? Ironic. The team that beat them. Now, that 86 yoke was on them. And it's just a whole negative vibe, and it took a historic run, an historic v, you know, baseball you know, GM president that you know now is going to go to the hall of fame for breaking not one but two curses and nobody talks about and let's forget about the difficulty because nobody wants to hear about the difficulty i've been talking about that beating that drum for a while but the fact remains they may have found their manager i know you don't like his balanced approach you want fake outrage like terry you want it's the stupid clip with Syndergaard when he hit when he hit utley that's all that's look at terry how much passion he has couldn't manage a bullpen didn't uh, like younger players. Handed the team over to veterans to manage it. Nothing. He was a caretaker. But you like that. But the guy that actually is managing the team, managing through it, treacherous situations, because you want him to go on Zoom and manage you on Twitter. You're, his job is not to manage the media in the sense where do what they want. He's to manage them and give them the kind of access and, and, and kind of keep them at bay. He's not there to manage Twitter. He's not there to manage your emotions and manage the way you want to feel. That's not his job. His job is to manage the players and run a baseball team. Not worry about the fans and how they want to feel after a game and yell and scream like a moron. They have a passionate owner. That's, I mean, I talked to somebody who was at the ball game for the doubleheader and he's walking around in the pavilion with a Mets shirt on, talking to fans. Uh, goes on Twitter. I know I hear now, oh, the, a lot of people around the league don't like the Twitter persona. What has he said on Twitter that's a big problem? You can't win. Oh, the owner never talks, and he hides. Wilpon. Oh, well, now he's talking too much on Twitter. I don't like that. So if you always are going to be upset about something, then, you know, that's what you are. Then maybe this team and this game is not for you. They're going to have money. They're going to have flexibility unless something really falls apart. And think of where they were just a year ago. They were a 90-loss team with a lot of injuries. And that was a 90-loss team. I don't care about the 60-game regular season. That was a 90-loss team. You still had Wilpon ownership, which you didn't know what kind of financial flexibility you would have. And I'll tell you what. There was no chance. There was three top free agents last offseason. There was no chance with the old ownership you'd be in on any of them. None of them. And I guarantee you, with Cohen as the owner, you're going to 
you're kind of in a position now where with the big contract with Lindor, you've taken some flexibility and thrown away. But you're going to be in on big free agents. They'll be at least talking about Chris Bryant. And they'll at least talk about a Max Scherzer. They may not get them for a variety of reasons. But they'll be talking about them. You have everything you want. You have everything you'd want in money. They're trying to find the best guys out there. Don't listen to the national media. People don't want to work for Cohen because of Twitter. Well, people don't want to work for Cohen because of his, you know, background of finance. Let me tell you, the baseball people wouldn't know what a hedge fund is. Some of them if it hit him in the head. Let, let's let's be fair. Some of the media don't know what hedge fund is if it hit him in the head. They don't understand anything. Maybe they read a few pages in a book about him, and heard some stories and watched billions. That's about it. So forget about it. money talks, opportunity talks. And you know what? Sometimes putting being put into this pressure cooker, not for everybody. Don't let them BS you. Not for everybody. Some people didn't take the job because of exactly what's happening right now. This is hard. This is hard until the day you win it all. And you get all the accolades. And then guess what? You're back on the horse the next day. And if God forbid you're bad the next year, in a lot of ways they throw out that title. Look how the Yankees have been treated. They were ready to tear that team apart. They had bestowed them championship after championship after championship with the Judge Yankees. Year after year, they had media championships. They were beaten like a stick on the 4th of July when the Mets won that game against Chapman. Now they're back to kind of like, all right, you know, the little engine that could. But wait, they don't do what the media wants. They'll be back on that on that, on that that uh, kick. They'll be back on that kick. Never completely goes away. As far as the whole thing, what you saw in front of you, you saw maybe what the Mets want to be, sure. The Dodgers are what everybody wants to be. They have money. They've had a front office that has been really good at a couple of things. Drafting and finding guys, whether it be through free agency, scrappy pickup trades, whatever. Finding guys that you would not expect. I went to MLB.com. If you look at last year's championship team. The 2020 Dodgers. Ten of the players were through the draft. Seven went through trade. Seven went through free agency. Four were through international free agency. So th- think about it. Fourteen of the 24 guys were not even part of the organization. They were brought in. So yeah, they do everything through the draft, but I also think they really understand the type of players and they and they find those undervalued assets. Look at the guys they drafted. Walker Bueller, great pitcher on Friday. Great pitcher. He's really de- de- evolved and developed since the last time we probably saw him just two years ago before the pandemic. He was a 24th overall pick. They didn't have to tank to get him. You got Bellinger. You got Corey Sager. You got Kershaw. You got Beatty. And then, let's not forget, over the years, the value signings. You got Justin Turner thrown in your face every day. You guys watched Justin Turner. He was a backup. He was a bad backup. He even had a chance to play every day as a second baseman for one year. And he had a you know, 650 OPS. He was a little goofy. Fans got annoyed with him because of the pies and his goofiness. And uh, he turned out to be a really good player. He would never have gotten the opportunity here. I know he was starting to work on his swing right before he left. With David Wright at that time at third base, he would never have gotten the opportunity that he got in L.A. That was the perfect situation for him. Bad bad bounce for the Mets because if you had known Wright was, was going to have stenosis and go out the window, you probably would have kept Turner. But he never would have played here. 
Muncie a scrap heap pickup. You know, Kiki Hernandez before he left to go to Boston. Austin Barnes, Chris Taylor. These are guys that were not picked up with any fanfare. The Mets need to start doing that. Do they have their, their own under-radar guys? We'll see. They're starting to bring some up. Tyler McGill possibly could be that guy. You got, you know, some young prospect, Eric Worsey, you know, uh, Buto. You're hearing some names here. Look, Jake Reed was picked up from the Dodgers. You saw him last night. I thought he looked pretty good. Maybe it was garbage time already and the Dodgers' approach against their former teammate who was there for a, a hot minute uh, was bad. But, you know, considering that the rest of the the staff last night gave up 14 runs, including a couple outfielders. The guy that went three scoreless innings, to me, looked pretty good. But everybody acts like the Dodgers just, you know, ownership bought the team and everything went right because they had money. And everything was perfect from day one. And it doesn't take much research to go and see that when they came in in 2012 and their signature move was... Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett, they were an 86-win team. And for the next three or four years, they were a team that won 90, 91, 92 games and then made the playoffs and lost in the NLDS until 2017 when they started to really take it to the next notch, win over 100 games, and lose in the World Series. So don't let the the narrative play out. The Mets don't have to be. The Mets were never going to be the Dodgers this year. I, I was hoping that there was that feel-good, especially after the replacement situation, where for three months they were in first place, they could have seized that. The big cr- crime here is that they didn't seize that opportunity. That gift of 90 days where they were allowed to figure themselves out, they have not capitalized on that. And that might be the ultimate miss, especially in the next three, four, five years. The division's never going to be more winnable than it is now. I always knew the Braves. Even I, I saw it when the Mets played them. I said, they're still pretty good even without some of their guys. They didn't have the same energy. They didn't have the same mojo. You know, when they went to Atlanta early in the year, there was always a team that you felt was like, uh, they, they always seemed to find a way to, to, to be pesky. It wasn't the same come-at-you offense. You know, clearly they have a few more additions. I laughed because people were like, oh, the Mets got Adam Duvall. The Mets got Jorge Solar. What are they going to do? I mean, they can't, they're better than Dom Smith. But we well, give it prospects to, to just bring these guys in because the Braves did. They fit the Braves. They didn't fit what the Mets were looking to do. The Mets want to make a splash. They want to bring in a big name. And they tried to get pitching and they couldn't. The real thing, and it's not for now. The real thing I'm looking for is there's four guys on this offensive side. And not that they don't have pitching concerns because they have to figure out they have a free agent and they have a couple of free agents he includes Syndergaard. They're going to have questions on the pitching side. They have a. This is going to be a very interesting offseason. But today is not for that. You have four guys on the offensive side. Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, uh, Jeff McNeil, and Michael Conforto that have killed them this year. Injury, underperformance, whatever. And have changed my thoughts on this offense, which I thought was an easy offense to score five runs a game. To an offense that right now never executes at runners on base. The approach is bad. Pro, you know, it's the worst offense in the league at times. Worse than the Pirates. Which is amazing to say. Those are guys that we have to dive into after the season is over. And figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go. Because you're not going to bring roll back the same guys. 
DNF Wilpon was the owner and the financial flexibility was was strapped. Yes, you'd be rolling back the same guys. They won't roll back the same guys. They're looking to see who's the solution. And it will be interesting to see that. I am looking to see as we go forward this week how they react. How do they go to the West Coast? If they I'll be the first if this time next week they come back 1 and 6 0 oh and 7 and they and they just get obliterated. Uh, I'll be the first to say, hey, you know, first of all, it'll be over. You know, even though I don't think mathematically it'll be over, and I don't think standings-wise you'll feel like it's impossible to come back, even with something like that, it'll be over. It's going to be very hard to come back from the mat on that. But I'm looking to see how they go out west and play. You know, are they going to play like they did Friday and Saturday? And and it's going to be draining, and it's going to take a ton out of this team. They've put themselves in this position where they have to go Game seven in a lot of ways, almost game seven type energy every night. And that's how this team is going to build character as an organization. This is how this team is going to change the narrative, how it changes the culture. Everybody's expecting what would happen in 17 and 18 and times during 13 and 14, a total collapse. And what I'm saying is, in reality, it it will have... In a lot of ways, it will have very little impact on how the Mets approach next year because they're still going to make changes. Whether this team wins 86 games, wins the division, and even if they won a championship, they're still going to make changes in the offseason. That's inevitable. If they go and get obliterated on this West Coast trip and they play out the string and win 77 games, 75 games, and they and they meekly go off into the, into the sunset, they're still going to make the same changes. They're still going to be in the play for big free agents. But to me, it'll tell a lot. I think it will impact how they look at Rojas. I don't think Rojas is going to get fired, and I think letting Rojas go would be a huge mistake because I think having a balanced personality and somebody that could handle the heat and do – I mean, he's done a good job with the bullpen. He's done a good job with the media, though it's a lot easier with Zoom. He hasn't lost his patience. If you're going to lose your patience last night, it would have been the time. Oh, actually, last week, week and a half would have been the time. Players – I, I, he holds them accountable. Just because you lose doesn't mean he's not holding them accountable. He's moved Conforto down in the lineup. He's benched guys. I mean, come on. What? Look at what you're seeing here. You're seeing a team build, develop, and grow. You wanted it all to be the easy pass lane. That whole vibe you got was about the easy pass lane. There is no easy pass lane in this in this in this game. There's none. It's hard. Winning is hard. Winning a championship is hard. Ask the Dodgers. Look at, go to baseball reference, look at 2012, go forward. Look at some of the moves. They've been lucky too. What, you think they planned on Max Muncy and Chris Taylor being big parts of their offense? I mean, Muncy's, you know, A-Rod's comparing him to Giambi, a guy that signed the record-breaking contract. Great comparison. They found them off the scrap heap. So, that's what I got for you. Basically, becoming the Dodgers doesn't happen overnight. And you saw the Dodgers, you saw the gap, and you saw how much work the Mets need to get done. And you can't lose the vibe totally because the vibe that we got back on November 1st, it was never about everything being perfect. And always remember, this year is about moving forward. It's about trying to win as many games and compete and get into that tournament. And yes, win a championship. Nobody... Nobody out of the other 2019s, maybe outside even the, I don't know how the Dodgers even really realistically win 
the, the ownership group took over, can realistically expect to win year one. They, even the Dodgers tried with the 86-win team there in 2012, making a big... And in reality, taking on those contracts from Boston was ridiculous. It was you know, Those players were, for the most part, done. Two of the three. But the Mets are trying to do that, and these should be commended for that. They shouldn't be, there shouldn't be any criticism about it. I'm not saying they shouldn't be criticized about how they play. They play bad. But not everything is bad. And to just wallow in negativity and take a mindset of woe is me, self-deprecating, it's just tiresome. It's a toxic part of the fan base that needs to go. They need to go. Now, how they go, you win. But let me explain something to you about those fans. They're never happy. They're never happy. The WFAN now transitioning to Twitter group, they're always going to be a problem. You could win 100 games, they're going to be a problem. They reap the, Anytime things go bad, they pop their heads out of the hole. See, I told you so. Because if you're always negative, you're more than likely going to be never disappointed. And you'll always be able to take the safe way out. It's like the media. If you're always going to take the opposite position, you're always right. You never have any accountability. Well, I told you this. I told you that. I told you this. I told you that. All I could say is this. I am looking to see. Here's what you're looking this week. Looking to see how they react to this bad weekend. They rebounded. And they got better and healed against a bad Nationals team. They did exactly what they needed to do after the Philadelphia series. Doesn't take a lot. The Nationals make it a little bit easy. But the Nats played them pretty hard. I mean, the Mets were down you know, three, four runs off the bat. A game they could have set up. We're, you know, We already lost in Philadelphia. We're losing to this team. Carrasco was part of that. And, you know, they came back, they won. Let's see how they play in San Francisco. Everyone asked if the Giants are unbeatable. They got four veterans I racked off their names playing way over their, their career norms, at where, especially at where they are now. I mean, some of these guys in their prime when they were in their 20s weren't playing like this. Most of their bullpens are scrap heap combinations. Oh, good, oh, good for them. But I mean, they're not going in and facing 27 Yankees. Dodgers are tough. That's right there, two of the three games. They got to find a way to win those games. They got to execute on offense better. They got to do the little things. And, you know, you have hopefully Lindor coming back in about a week. Who the hell knows what's going on with DeGrom? That's a whole nother story. You could do a show on that for another day. And away you go. I mean, I think they've really missed Lindor. They really have. I think his pre- I hate to say it because I didn't really know what they were getting. And I still feel they should have waited to commit to him to the length they committed to him. But let me tell you, since he's been out, hasn't been the same team. You know, and they, you could argue they're a better team now with who they have than during the replacement time when he was there. He was the one guy I think they really couldn't afford to lose day in and day out. Even though he's in the dugout, I think there was a certain amount of, uh, you know, I think they're burnt out from all the adversity. I think every team gets to the point, but they have to continue to push. This pushing through and winning as many games as they can and putting the best performance possible will be important to lay the foundation going forward. And you will, it will also tell me who really wants to be here and be part of this thing and work through this cesspit, the cesspool, whatever you want to call it, of a of a town, of a sports environment, to be here when the times are good. Because they could be good, you know, not too far in the distant future. I still think that you're going to see some exciting baseball in September. I don't think, I go back, look at the schedules, the Phillies, the Braves, the Mets. It's 
all going to come down to those teams against uh, those games against those bad teams because all of them are going to have similar ruts against these teams because it's clear the Dodgers are way better than them. You know, the Brewers are record-wise better than them, but I've seen the Brewers play. I, I think the Mets could hang with them when healthy. The Giants, first time we get an eye on them the next week, we'll see. I have my suspicions that they may be playing a little over their head. Right now, the only team that I thought this year the Mets have played is significantly better than them are the Dodgers. That's it. Out of the whole league. I think the Mets could play with everybody else. D- Giants TBD, I'll let you know. But I have a suspicion I'll walk away not thinking that the Giants are unbeatable. That's just my suspicion. All right. want to thank everybody for tuning in here on another State of the Union uh, Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast very soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.